Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. I'm really excited to bring you this week's interview with James Averdeek, CEO and founder of both the Coconut Collaborative and formerly of Goo Chocolate Buds. James was my boss for four years when I set up and ran Goo Desserts in France, and he's one of the people I've learned most from in my career in food and grocery. James founded Goo Puds in 2003 and sold it in 2010 for £32 million. He then launched the Coconut Collaborative, which is a vegan yogurt company that offers delicious coconut yogurts, both natural and yogurts with fruit compote, as well as these gorgeous little chocolate pots and a squeezy version of the yogurt for kids. The Coconut Collaborative has grown 50% year on year and is fast becoming a mainstream brand in the UK and is now selling internationally too. Here's our interview earlier this week where James tells us about the key drivers that have underpinned the transformational growth he has experienced in both his businesses. James Averdeek, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. It's a beautiful day in London. That's great. It's gorgeous here too. So James, you've seen some super successes in your career as a food entrepreneur. You've grown goo chocolate puds from the seed of an idea while you were in Belgium to a business worth 32 million sterling. And in the process, you really transformed what consumers expected from the chill dessert aisle in supermarkets across the UK and France and Germany and Austria, to name but a few. And then you launched the Coconut Collaborative in 2014. And I believe you're seeing even higher growth than, than you did with Goo. Yeah, I mean, it's a different market because I'm now in the, the, the Coconut Collaborative makes vegan yogurts. That's our main business. And, and yogurt is a big category which people eat every day. So the key difference is that I've now got a brand which probably was lower brand awareness. I mean, the brand awareness is growing fast, but importantly, my customers buy it regularly, more regularly than goo. So, so that's why it's growing so fast. That's really interesting. And I suppose with consumers increasing interest in plant-based foods, the time is really right now for a yogurt and dessert business that offers plant-based indulgence. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because both Goo and the Coconut Collaborative in some ways are very similar business models. You know, we operate in, in the chill cabinet and desserts and so on. But the good thing about the new business, I mean, Goo is all about great indulgence. The Coconut Collaborative is all about a healthy lifestyle and at the same time, a product which has got kind of, you know, real food appeal. So I think when people are experimenting with vegan or non-dairy, their expectations in terms of taste are quite low. But what we've, I think, succeeded in doing is basically creating a range of uh, yogurts and desserts which really taste good. Hence the shift to a healthier lifestyle, which is, you know, a lot of people associate with going vegan, is easier with us. And there's the sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and they are, I have to say, they are gorgeous products. They really are. I particularly like your, um, I mean, I love them all, but I particularly like your little chocolate pots and your squeezy ones, which I know are for kids, but I, I tend to buy them for myself, I have to say. So in the introduction, I told our listeners that the Coconut Collaborative is seeing really strong growth in the UK, with the brand going mainstream now with national distribution in most retailers. But one of the things you seem to be really good at, and I know our listeners will be really interested to hear about, is your ability to develop your food businesses internationally. Tell us a bit about your international expansion with the Coconut Collaborative. Internationally, we sell in France, primarily in the Paris region, 
and our biggest customer is Monopri followed by Carrefour. And then in also we sell in Germany in Edeka and Reva and in Austria with, I think it's called Billa, which is also owned by Reva. So that's our European business. Oh, sorry, I just forgot to mention Deleuze in Belgium where we've just launched. So yeah, that's a nice little business as well. Deleuze is a great chain. It's the kind of Waitrose of Belgium. And then 18 months ago, we uh, launched in the US as a kind of pilot, which went really well. So last summer, we opened an office in Los Angeles. And actually this week, we've just made our first yogurt in LA. We were kind of flying it over, which is very expensive for the first nine months. But um, we've now started manufacturing in the US. And we're selling on on the West Coast and and the East Coast. And, you know, obviously it's very exciting, but very scary at the same time. And to be honest, I think that kind of sums up our business, which is exciting, but slightly scary because we are competing against big companies with big budgets. So we basically, the reason we exist or we, you know, made headway is because I think we're quite innovative The products are really high quality and we've got a kind of quirky brand which people like and and people are drawn to. And actually, I think the one thing I've noticed over the last 10 years is that people are less impressed by big brands and more interested in small kind of more artisanal companies. And obviously that works for us. Yeah, it certainly does. And it's something that all of our guests are saying at the moment. One of the interesting things that... um, Sam Denigan said last week about strong roots was the importance of consumers being able to discover small brands and not it not being forced on them, which I think is something that the big brands are always going to have in their disfavour, so to speak. I've got a couple of questions in terms of everything you just told us. So in terms of total market sales, where are you guys at the moment? Are you able to tell us where you are in terms of size as a business? Yeah, we're, um, our sales are around £15 million pounds a year. So that's about two thirds of the size of Goo was when we sold it. Okay. And we're growing by about 50% a year. 50% a year. That's amazing. So, so it's a good upward trajectory. And I think the interesting thing, again, for our business is that because we've gone into the US, we're thinking our growth will continue, whilst typically in the UK, you can grow very quickly, but then you run out of new stores, you run out of distribution and and your growth tails off. And I think that's a problem a lot of small companies face, which is their growth is kind of distribution linked. And then at some stage, you're going to run out. But this way, if you expand to the US, it's more expensive, but there are plenty of stores. So hopefully it will carry on growing. So over the years, you and I discussed the US many times over the phone or even back in the goo days. And you were reluctant in the past to go to the US. What's different now? Well, something that you kind of mentioned earlier, actually, which is the Chibani effect in the yogurt category, where they basically transformed yogurt with kind of Greek yogurt or Greek style yogurt and, you know, became a $7 billion market, which is about seven times the size of the UK market. So I think Americans kind of woke up to yogurt. I mean, obviously, that's kind of normal yogurt. And obviously, with the vegan boom, they're now waking up to vegan plant-based yogurt. And there there are a few brands there already, obviously. I mean, we're not first in. But I think our point of difference is that 
you know, we really do taste a lot better than the existing products. There was a structural issue when we were looking at it back in the day with goo. You know, one of the reasons that we decided not to do it was the supermarkets in the States, you tended to have to have a huge merchandising team to make sure your product was on the shelf every day. Is that still the case or how have you got around that? Because I know that was a really key barrier for us. I think the biggest barrier with goo was the shelf life of the product. So because the States is such a a large geography and also the logistics supply chains are less sophisticated than the UK, you do need a a long shelf life to make the whole thing work. And um, we have that now with the Coconut Collaborative. The reason we have it is the way that our products are produced, which Although they're very natural, they have good long shelf lives, much longer than goo, because they're produced in basically on very high care equipment. Uh, but it's still a, a very challenging market. I mean, you do need soldiers on the ground. You do need to kind of put together a, a network of brokers, distributors. It, it's not an easy market for small companies. And I think a lot of European businesses go there because they think, oh, USA is great. We're going to get rich. But actually, it is it is quite tough and it's an expensive market as well. So, you know, we're investing quite heavily in the US, but on the hope that, on the expectation that it will grow and um, we'll be able to get a very good exit in the future. Well, that's fabulous. And you have a team out there, don't you, who are there full time? Yeah, so we've got a team of, of 10 now in in the states we've got an office in la and it's um the only american thing about the business now is the recipe and the um my brother who runs it is obviously british as well Uh, but otherwise we're an american business which is i you know it's important americans like dealing with americans so well that's that's fabulous and how many months sales have you had out there now it's a, a year is it yeah so we've been going now properly for about over a year, just over a year. We did a, an initial test on the Northeast, but in terms of, you know, since we opened the office, we've been going for about a year and we're now in about a thousand stores, what they call the velocities. So the rates of sale are, are, are really good. And um, it's all about, in fact, it's the same everywhere in the world. It's all about your shelf velocities. So how quickly you turn your products or your products turn. And that then dictates whether the retailers carry, you know, not only stock your products, but carry on kind of rolling them out and, um, you know, getting behind them. So the good thing is that our sales velocities are, are strong. So it's all looking quite positive at the moment. That is great news, James. Congratulations. It's, it sounds like the Coconut Collaborative is, is on its way to being hugely successful in the US. So one of the things that always fascinated me about you when we were working together at Goo was your total obsession with product and how the product delivered. And I remember when you were launching the Coconut Collaborative, I tasted some of the products for you with friends and we chatted through the feedback together on the phone. And you spent ages describing to me all of the different things you were doing to ensure that the product was absolutely perfect. Tell us what it is that makes you so focused on product. Because I find, unfortunately, that a total obsession with product delivery is not as common as one might think in the food industry. Yeah, well, thanks. I do remember sending in the products and getting your feedback. And um, it's been more difficult with the new business because I'm in my early 50s now. And I suppose my target market is in the in their 20s. So it's kind of get you know, getting into it's much easier when you are the target market. But in terms of 
product obsession. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm I'm unique in that. I think it's a actually I think it's a requirement for any up and coming brand. You know, there are so many disadvantages of being a startup, but the one advantage you do have is that you obsess over uh, over the, your product quality. But, you know, one of the things we've just done is we have, as of this month, we're putting billions of live cultures in every pot of our yogurt. So effectively, it's going to be the Actimel of of non-dairy. So you get that as a kind of, you know, benefit because gut health is, is incredibly important to our customers. And there's a lot of evidence that, you know, your health begins in your gut. And is that something you're going to communicate heavily on in, in the coming month when you launch or is it going to creep in? Yeah, no, no, we we will communicate it on pack and we'll advertise it. And, you know, a lot of our communication these days is through digital channels. So, you know, Instagram, YouTube, Google and Facebook and so on. So we'll make a big noise. I mean, I, I, I think one thing you know, I realized with small brands is that we, you know, we just don't have the bucks to spend three million quid on a big advertising campaign. So it probably, you know, going back to what you were saying about Sam Dunnigan, I think people do discover small brands and I think they do discover things that they like about them. And um, in a way, that's something quite nice, you know, so hopefully when people see this and the taste is actually great, it hasn't affected the taste at all once we put all these cultures in. I mean, there are cultures in the product at the moment, but there just aren't billions of them in every pot. But I think people will really like that. And we're not charging any more for it either. So (laughs) That's very generous. Um, Do you still come into the office with bags and bags of competitors' products and dump them on the table and call everybody over and say, right, grab a spoon, let's taste? Yes, I do. So in our boardroom, we've got shelves with every, by market, we've got a shelf for each kind of market. So there's the US shelf, there's the French shelf, the um, German shelf, there's even an Australian shelf where we have every packaging from every market. So I like to think that, you know, we know what's going on in the market. I mean, we are in a category which is really moving very fast. There's a lot of competitors in our market. I think that's one difference with Goo is that we didn't have so many competitors. This time around, we do have a lot but we are operating in bigger markets. So there's a room for a few players. In the UK, we're number two behind Alpro. What we've heard is that quite a few big brands are coming in. And yeah, we are going to see the market hot up, but nothing's new. I mean, that's what happens when you've got a fast-growing market. So one of the interesting things is that in most categories where artisan brands come in and grow very quickly and transform people's expectations, private label comes in more and more quickly these days. Do you think this is a a category where private label will be able to compete? Well, private label has an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is that it will get listed. So because the buyers will always, you know, Sainsbury will always want to have a Sainsbury private label. It won't have the same performance criteria as a brand. So it won't have to sell as much. The disadvantage of private label is that I think there are certain categories, and I think yogurt is one of them, where people trust brands more. Desserts are slightly different because very fresh desserts, you kind of want to see the product. And in some ways, you know, the the retailers with their own brands have been very successful. But 
With yogurts, I think it's much more of a branded market. And also, I don't think private labels have been very good at communicating health benefits. I think also another benefit or advantage you have as a brand in, a, say, a vegan or a health food category is that where people have been disappointed in the past and where they're, they're going into something for the first time almost expecting to not really like it or for it not really to deliver the same way a standard product would, they're going to pick a brand, aren't they? Because they're going to think, well, I'm already expecting there to be something I don't like about this. And I don't think private label would be able to deliver on that, certainly in the short to medium term. No, no. So I think the competition is more likely to be branded competition. But I think the challenges for us are more about kind of big established dairy brands coming into non-dairy. And then the question is, will they be credible for vegan customers? Yeah. Uh, and I suspect the answer is that some people will be okay about it, but some people will prefer a, a vegan-only company. Yeah. So I often use the analogy with electric cars, you know, so a lot of car companies uh, produce diesel, petrol and electric, but uh, Tesla only produces electric. I mean, we, we will always just do vegan products. I think it's more difficult especially given the emotion around dairy and non-dairy and so on, to actually have your foot in both camps. But I'm, I'm sure people, you know, people are trying and uh, consumers will buy. So I think there's a place for us as a pure vegan company and there's probably a place for Danone and Yoplait and so on as, you know, a foot in both camps. Well, like you say, it will be interesting to find out if it's possible to do that and be perceived as credible by, by the vegan consumer. So one of the other things that has always interested me about you over the years is your ability to think around problems and challenges in a totally different way to many people. Just thinking about when we were launching Goo in France, I can remember coming back to London and telling you that Carrefour was saying to me, look, we're really happy with Goo's performance since launch in the Ile-de-France region. That's the greater Paris area. And you either now expand to the whole of France or forget it, because we don't just want you in Ile-de-France, we want you everywhere. And you and I knew damn well that because of the regional setup in French grocery, there was no way our model could afford to pay a regular chilled transporter to deliver to all the regional depots across France. And then you came up with this amazing idea, which I thought was absolutely mad, which was that we would ask our main competitor in the desserts market to take our products on their lorries. And they agreed, which we couldn't believe. <laughs> so I'm sure you've done loads more of that kind of stuff over the years, you know, and it really stood us well. Um, and if you hadn't thought of the solution or been brave enough to ask, they never would have said yes. Any other examples of, of things like that that you've done that maybe other people mightn't have thought of? Well, look, it was very kind of you to credit me with that story, but I'm I'm sure it was your idea, Fee. I don't think it was my idea at all. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. That was definitely your idea, James. Okay, well, thank you. Um, I think, I mean, going back to the, you know, what you really need to grow these businesses, you've obviously got to be doing things a bit better and a bit more creatively than everyone else. And I don't think you have to be a, a lot better, but you just got to be a little bit better, a little bit more attentive to your customers. Your product's got to taste a little bit better. You know, all of those, if you just do things a little bit better, I, I think that's the key thing. But, you know, one of the things that 
I benefited from with both my businesses was a very good team of people of which you were one. And I think that was the key to scaling the business because these days, I mean, we were all, let's say you were at Nestle, you know, I'd, I'd had a corporate career before and uh, a lot of the others had been trained by the big dogs, but we were all looking for a more interesting entrepreneurial career. And so we could still be professional because we'd had it trained into us. But we could be a little bit more entrepreneurial. And, and I think that's why the brands that have succeeded, if you actually look at what's behind them, the people behind them, they're not kind of hippies. They're not uh, dropouts. Most of them are pretty um, well-trained corporate animals who just want a, a more entrepreneurial life. And and I think that's absolutely key. Uh, you know, especially when you're starting a new business, you want to reduce all of the risks. So the key thing is to get experienced people who know what they're doing. It's incredible, as you say, how many people come into the food industry with no experience of the food industry. And they, just because they eat it every day, they expect to be able to launch a business. Now, yeah. you know, my, my view is that if, if you look at successful businesses, they are full of people, very experienced people in that in that sector and that's what makes it successful sounds obvious to me absolutely absolutely so in hindsight which business decisions would you make differently in terms of product launches or customer launches or expansion into new geographical areas i have learned that the key to success is focus so don't try and take on the world all at once don't try and go into too many areas build a business in your home market and before you scale it anywhere else. Obviously, Goo is a big success. And so far with the Coconut Collaborative, it's looking good so far. So in the main, we've got the key decisions right. And and you're never going to get everything right. I mean, you know, it's always going to be two steps forward, one step back. I mean, that's life, isn't it? But the only thing that is common is that when you try and do too much, you usually screw up. And uh, when you focus, you, um, you've got more likelihood of success. Well, that's good advice. And finally, what's next for the Coconut Collaborative? So you're going to drive the business in the USA. Any other key focuses for you? I mean, basically, we've got a brand which we've got a core customer base, you know, who love it. And we get a lot of very nice emails back from our customers saying how much they like our products, blah, blah, blah. But I think we've got to increase our brand awareness. I think that's the number one priority. It still doesn't have the brand awareness that I'd like, although that's changing fast. That That's our challenge is to grow the brand awareness in all our markets, to be honest. And then on the back of that, carry on making really good products, but, but not kind of you know, one thing I've also learned from a frenetic product development pipeline is that rather than do everything, just do a few things brilliantly. And, you know, that's what will make the difference. So, you know, we have a natural yogurt, which people love. I just want to make sure that I have that absolutely nailed in every single possible format for that base product. And if I can do that right... I'll have a good business because, you know, people eat a lot of natural yogurt. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Will you come back in a few months and tell us how you're getting on in the States? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Let's um, keep you updated. Yeah, we'd really enjoy that. Thank you so much, James. Okay. Thank you, Pete. (laughs) 